0: Welcome to another exciting episode of the Entrepreneur Speaks Podcast. I'm your host Kofi Animedou. Today I'm joined by Jill Johnson, the president and founder of Johnson Consulting Services. In our first episode, She talked about her entrepreneurial journey and she shared a lot of nuggets of wisdom with us. In this second part of our conversation, she will be helping us understand how as businesses, how as entrepreneurs, how as enterprises, we can endure and be in business for a very long time. So she'll be tackling this important topic of enduring enterprises. She'll be giving us some tips and strategies that we can adapt on our quest to grow businesses that can stay for a very long time. Welcome to my show, Jill.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Kofi. It's glad to be back again, and I can't wait for this part of our conversation. It's it's exciting stuff, and it's I'm going to write another book on, on this content as well, so I love every opportunity to have a conversation about it.
0: Okay. Thank you so much once again. And so let's start off with some definitions or your perspectives on the subject matter. So when we talk about enduring enterprise and enduring entrepreneur. What do these concepts mean?
1: So for me, it's really about building a business or an enterprise that stands the test of time. Um, If you think about, you know, in in the US, for example, they say only, what, about 20% of businesses survive five to 10 years. And, you know, as I've looked at business statistics over many years, very few businesses ever last 20 or 30 or more more years. And there are so many reasons behind it. And as I've studied business, both with clients and, and other research that I've done, it's pretty clear that those that do succeed over that longer period of time are very different. And as we talk today, I've identified eight different factors. I don't know that we'll get through all eight, but there are eight factors that, that we've identified and I've identified and we'll be talking about in that future book that really make the difference in terms of whether a business succeeds over the long term or whether it's it, it loses its gas and, and runs out of steam. Mm,
0: mm. Thank you so much. And I'm sure in our conversation, you would Help us appreciate these eight strategies. Um, yes. All right. So so what does it take to develop an enduring enterprise?
1: Well, so if let's start at the very beginning. And I think that one of the key elements of it is the vision. Um, you know, how do you see yourself? going forward in the future? What do you see yourself as that leader? It was that my perspective on that really started as I was working with boards of organizations, you know, some would have this grandiose vision for the future that was so lofty and so aspirational, if you will, that it wasn't possible to for their small little team to achieve that goal, to achieve that vision. And so what I encourage people to do is to have that bigger vision, but it needs to be grounded in some level of reality. as when we talked in in our previous uh, interview, I, I said that I was the chief reality officer often for my clients, that CRO and and for vision, I think a lot of times that vision really sets the stage for, the business and it and all of the business strategies need to be working in tandem in order to be able to achieve that vision. And so, you know, sometimes people will say, um, uh, you know, that we're going to dominate our market. Well, what does that really mean? They need to have more clarity around what it means to dominate the market, dominate it in uh, sales, in service, in delivery outlets or you know however that might be and what is your market when you say dominate your market is it here in the city of of Minneapolis is it in the country of Ghana is it the whole U.S. or the whole world or is it intergalactic I mean what's the the scope of how big that will be and I think that that having that sense of vision is very important I had an entrepreneur that I worked with years ago and and he was not a successful entrepreneur. And, and it was, I I was doing a little bit of work with him, but I wasn't sure that I was going to continue to work with him because, you know, he just, he wouldn't listen. And finally, one day I just said to him, you know, what's your vision for the future? And he said, well, I'm going to be a billionaire. I'm like, okay, that's a great vision to have, but what are you doing day to day to even be A fifty thousand dollar (laughs) error. You know, he wasn't even successful in these small little things that he was doing. So his ability to execute and to achieve that big vision was there was just no pathway for it unless he did things very differently. And and nobody had ever quite called him on that. And it was it was kind of a, a a moment of truth for him, if you will, that you know he had this idea but he wasn't, nothing was working to make it, to accomplish it. I asked that same question of a young person I was mentoring when he was 26. And I I just said, you know, hey, Brian, who who are you going to be when you're 40? Who's that guy that I'm going to, you know, sit in the office of and I'm going to talk with, you know, so we're talking about for him, it was 15 years in his future. And I, you know, I didn't think a whole lot of it because it was a question for him to work on and reflect on. And he came back later and he said that that was such a powerful question for him, because once he had that vision of who he wanted to be, then all of the different elements of how to execute his day-to-day strategies became so much clearer because they were all working to get him to that ultimate path. And he's 42 now and he is the guy that we, that he talked about who he wanted to be at 26 at 42 because he had great clarity about it. Now the key thing is reorienting the dream to who does he want to be at 60. And, and so, you know, that's that big vision for, for a business is knowing because that sets the pathway.
0: Okay. Um, What are some of the key characteristics of enduring enterprises and and how do they differ from short-term success stories?
1: So so one of the other elements of an enduring uh, enterprise or an enduring entrepreneur is ongoing skill development, because a lot of times the things that got you to become an entrepreneur – do not make you successful as your business grows and gets more complex. And a lot of times that's where when the businesses fail, it's in part because the entrepreneur hasn't continued to grow. Um, they were often very good at a particular skill um, when they started, and but they didn't learn the business parts of, of being um, an entrepreneur of a successful business. And a lot of them want to just hire it out or have, well, I I don't need to learn about money because my accountant or my bookkeeper can do that. But yet, you know, you need to understand those elements. And, you know, you don't need to be an expert at it, but you need to have some familiarity with it. Same thing for, you know, understanding things like human resource management. I mean, the thing that kills most businesses is they hire the wrong people. And they keep the wrong people in their jobs vastly longer than they ought to. and And the best advice I ever heard, and i, I it's you know, I try and implement it within my own business, whether it's it's working with an intern or a vendor, is, hire slow, fire fast. And, you know, if it's not working, you need to get out of it and move on instead of trying to magical think, well, make it better. And, you know, it just doesn't always work that way. But the same thing holds true for the entrepreneur. And you need to have good skills of your own. And you need to continue to expand in your business acumen If you're going to do it, we see the same thing, whether you're a growing nonprofit business or a trade association or anything else, the skills of your team of you and your team also have to continue to grow. And sometimes you're going to need to. To buy new talent that has skills that you don't have or can't get, um, or can't grow as you look to expand, and and so I think as you as you break down the whole perspective of what do you need to grow and operate and sustain that business over time or that that enterprise over time, skills is a really critical element of what works and what doesn't work.
0: Okay, so in your earlier submission, you talked about vision, and its role in building an enduring enterprise. But how can business leaders balance their need for short-term results with the long-term vision required for building an enduring enterprise?
1: Well, I think it goes to one of the other pillars of, of enduring enterprises, and that's planning. Um, you need to do disciplined business planning, business and strategy planning, on an ongoing basis, not just once every three years or once a year. Most entrepreneurs do all of the business plan activity when they're starting their business and they never go back and reassess it as the business begins to grow and develop and and they have some successes because it's that discipline of going back and looking at your information and where is your success coming from and what is it that, that you need to adjust or modify that will allow you to continue to be successful is so essential. And, and I find that organizations that look at planning as something that they're always engaged in, they're always looking, uh, for, um, how to do things better, how to, uh, 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 create new opportunities. And, you know, for example, looking at your client mix, you know, a lot of of businesses get really excited because they get one really big client and it's, you know, maybe 60 to 80% of their business and it's going really, really well. But then the client has a staff change or the CEO changes and they decide to hire somebody else. And all of a sudden your business is gone that bulk of business is gone because you weren't diversified in your revenue stream and you had no activity in your pipeline that was setting up the stage for that more diverse um, uh, new client portfolio. And so if you were doing ongoing planning, you would recognize your risks and business vulnerabilities and you would be working on mitigation strategies that would help you minimize the impact that those risks could have, you would be working on a tactics that were trying to expand the outreach that you had for new business or looking for different employees or looking for expansion opportunities or thinking about if I have to cut my my business by 25% because we lose something, what's my protocol for how I'll do that? And begin to play those what-if games, that scenario planning, we call it. And But most people don't bother to do that because they're just in the moment of whatever is going on today with their business. And for most companies and most entrepreneurs, and frankly, a lot of associate organizations, the planning horizon is 12 to 36 hours. They're looking at today, tomorrow, and maybe the night after. they you know, they're they're focused on the immediate term. What planning does is it forces you to take that longer-term view. And if you combine that with You know, really recognizing and reflecting on that vision and getting in the discipline of working on those two elements in tandem, you have a much greater likelihood of anticipating problems before they occur. Um, You've anticipated strategies of how you'll work with complex problems. Long before they actually happen, so that you'll know exactly what you need to do. If you think about, you know, like airline pilots, you know, they go through simulation training of bad case scenarios, that worst case scenario, if you will. And when I'm doing um, uh, business planning with clients, we do strat- scenario planning. We look at best case, worst case, um, expected case, so that they can understand the impact if their strategies don't succeed so that they don't blow up the business because they've been ha- they've thought through it in a much more comprehensive way but but those that are successful over the long term are always engaged in planning now they may not uproot everything that they've got in play but they're always thinking ahead they're always looking at what how how is that going to be um, affecting what we do with our vision.
0: Okay, thank you so much. Jill. Um, so what role do company culture and value play in creating an enduring enterprise?
1: Well, you know, there's there's so much emphasis on on, on company culture um, in in today's world, and I don't think people are necessarily as effective at it, and I think culture within um, businesses that succeed over the long term are cohesive. People are working um, collectively, not against each other. They're working um, in a collaborative manner to achieve the same goals and objectives. They understand what... Um, how they all fit together and what they're doing and they come together in a way that that i define in the uh, of the pieces of the enduring um, enterprises is they create substance in the business It's not, the business isn't all just fluff and mirrors and, and BS. It's, there is a substantive approach to the quality of what they do and offer, the work that they do and offer. And that ties to culture because the employees are taking pride in how they are, are creating whatever it is they're doing. And it may be the safety. So uh, for example, I have a, a colleague I know out in California and it's a family, it was a family owned orchid grower, uh, uh uh, nursery, if you will, and orchids are notoriously difficult to grow. And and they have this amazing business, but their culture of how the employees come together um, and work around, you know, they have certain major holidays a year where, you know, a significant portion of their product goes out um, and the safety elements that, that have to be in play. And, and the teamwork, works collectively they work together they look out for each other they support each other and when you do that you create substance in the business you create substance in what it is you're selling to your clients and you create a culture where people have value, and they value the role that they have in the company. And I think that's so exciting when when they can see how it comes together. And there's some magic that happens, I think, when, when it's all working together. And then when you combine that with the the you know the planning and the vision all and the skill development of your team all of a sudden you now have this really robust enterprise and that type of enterprise is well primed for lasting success over the long term
0: Mm, that's deep um so what are some common common mistakes um that companies make when trying to build um, enduring enterprises and how could these mistakes be avoided?
1: So this leads to another one of the elements and that's controlling growth. A lot of there's, and there's two elements to the, uh, two elements that tie together on this. And so if we look at growth, you know, everybody is like, Oh, we want to grow our business and we want to get to a, you know, a million dollars as quick as possible. And, you know, so there's, you know, buying new equipment and they're spending money and, and, they just haven't really got the processes set in place. They don't have the clients in place. And what ends up happening is they oversell. And then all of a sudden now they can't deliver. So their um, reputation damage is done because they, you know, we all know businesses that over-promised and under-delivered. And it also ties to to one of the other elements and that's money. You have to have Good fiscal management if you're going to build an enterprise that stands the test of time. Because without good money um, and, and good mindset about what to invest in, how frequently to invest in, how often you can end up putting the business out of business because there's no money to get you through those days when the cash isn't coming in. We've all had a client that didn't pay us when they were supposed to. And if you don't have any money in the bank to be able to cover your day-to-day expenses, you might end up going out of business. And we all know entrepreneurs that have gone bankrupt because their vision was too big. They spent all this money relative to the vision, but they couldn't execute to achieve it. And then had to file bankruptcy because the financial cash flows just didn't work. And, and a lot of them I've also seen, um, when you, when you get into that growth mode, a lot of times they're now looking for outside money. And so they're looking for money from angel investors, venture capitalists. They're looking for money from private equity. Um, I even had one entrepreneur that I served on a board with who went public with his company and sold stock. And I remember having the conversation with him. I said, that was was a pretty expensive way to get added cash flow to your business. And he just looked at me because nobody had ever said that to him. And he's like, you're absolutely right. I should have never done it. Because, you know, the idea of of what he was doing was, you know, and he had all these advisors around him telling him, oh, yeah, you should go public, you know, because they were all going to make a lot of money off of him if he if he did, because they needed to have the attorneys and the accountants and the other advisors. And then, you know, the other firms that that did the PR on it to sell the shares and the investment bankers, everybody else was making money. And and the guy didn't understand that, you know, how much loss of control he would have and that's the other thing that happens when you bring in outside money is you as the as the business person might think you're going to continue to be in control but oftentimes when you've got private equity money, you get moved out they bring in their own uh, their own leader to to manage the operation and the reason is because the skill sets of being an entrepreneur are often different than the skill sets of a general business leader. And and so if you've been working on your skill then you know, often you can overcome that, but a lot of times those private equity firms—they're just looking to acquire the assets, the reputation, the goodwill, um, and and the team that you've put in place. But you may not have that that long time perspective. I've known tons of entrepreneurs that that got private equity money and then got moved out. So. So I always tell people is control growth. And is private equity money bad? Absolutely not. It might be an exit strategy for you to consider. Um uh, if you're looking at angel investors, um, that can be your next step for um how you look at and build, but you just need to fully understand. Again, the, the risks and the rewards that you're going to be exposed to. And if you're not going to use outside money, then how are you going to build your own cash flow so that you have financial reserves set aside for your rainy day, if you will, So that you've always got that money in the bank that you can weather any storm and those successful enterprises and and the truly supremely successful entrepreneurs that, that last, I mean, I've been in business 35 years and it has not all been, you know, sunshine and roses. You know, there've been some, some periods where there just wasn't a lot of work because, you know, our country was in a recession and people and clients weren't spending outside money, you know, during the pandemic, you know, we had lots of work that was canceled, even though we had signed contracts for it, Because the clients needed to cancel those contracts in order for them to survive. And so, but I had money in the bank, so I wasn't worried about it. And I was able to be gracious to my clients and not get into a panic. And I think those two elements of controlling growth and money, as you link them together, are really fundamental to enterprises that are successful and and sustain that success over a long period of time.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, so we live in an era where technology is very crucial to the operations and growth of, of, of every business. Um, what role does technology play in building an enduring enterprise? And how can companies ensure that they are using technology effectively and also reasonably?
1: Well, I, you know, technology, I would fall put under one of the other categories that I have for of the eight, and that's adapting. Um, You know, we were, we were talking, or I was talking with somebody earlier today about the internet. You know, when I started my career, the internet did not exist, You know, and and so um, you know, my business is different now. I market differently. I um, uh, you know things like our podcast. I mean, 40 years ago, who would have ever thought that you know a, a business owner from Minnesota in the USA would be talking to a podcaster in Ghana, and and people around the world would be hearing what we talk about? Um, that is part of what we have adapted to those emerging possibilities. And, and I think technology clearly falls under that, that sphere of adaption. And I think that what you have to decide is, are you going to be on the front end of the leading edge of the technology adoption? Or are you going to be a little bit of a laggard and, and maybe like an early majority adopter or a late majority, but you know, you want the technology to be proven before you're gonna throw all your money into it. I tend to fall more into that category. Um, I'm skeptical. There's been lots of things that have come and gone. You know, think of all the different social media over the years that, you know, we get all ginned up and invest in and, and work on, and then, you know, within a year or two they're, you know, the fad's over and and they've gone on. I'm. I look for in my business proven technology. Um, I'm looking for software and resources that are commonly used by my clients, um, commonly used by um, successful entrepreneurs. The things that I that I throw small amounts of money at are different applications that um, might help me cut video faster or do transcriptions of, uh, speeches that I give or podcasts that I do so that I can more rapidly extract content out of them. And, and so, you know, but typically those are things that are less than a hundred dollars. And, and the other thing that I look for are things that often, and this ties back with money because I'm pretty thrifty. Um, I like lifetime subscriptions rather than the things that you pay for on a monthly basis. Because when whenever you're paying for something on a monthly basis, I always tell people, add it up. For what it's going to cost you for the year, because that's the number you really need to look at for your decision making. It's not, you know, the the twenty dollars a month. It's the, um, uh, you know, twenty four hundred or, or two hundred forty dollars a year or whatever the number would be. And and so now all of a sudden it's a different decision when you, when you look at it like that. But we, I work with industries that are evaluating technology all the time. And the key needs to be is, is it going to help your team be more efficient at what they do? And if it's really complex, which a lot of these tech uh, techs are, you know, do we have the resources on staff? to teach our people how to use it so that we get them to come along with us and adapt to the change. Um, and I've seen clients where, you know, they had team members who just fought new tech um, left and right because they were afraid they couldn't learn it. And the client, frankly, didn't do a very good job of demystifying the technology and providing the training to the team so that people could learn what it was they needed to do. Um, And I think a lot of times we make assumptions, but yet we need to make accommodations as well. And I've got clients that are using some very complex software for their human resources um, stuff. And and I actually speak, have been a speaker for that human resource software company. It's a couple billion dollar uh, enterprise. And uh, their software is really complicated. It's really complicated to put together on the back end. And a lot of the clients that I know that are using it when you talk to them, will admit they're, they've only used a portion of what that software is capable of doing because they don't have the time to learn and execute the back end to get those whiz bang things all set up for their team. So tech is, it sounds really great, but you have to be really mindful about how you're gonna do it and how you're gonna use it. And then you need to figure out who are your backup resource people for when you get into trouble that you can reach out to that are trusted allies that or trusted vendors that you can work with to resolve any of the issues that are obviously gonna come into play.
0: Okay. Um, how can companies, um, businesses uh, measure and track their progress in building an enduring enterprise?
1: Oh, that's a great question, Kofi. I think metrics are the most underutilized type of device um, for for an enduring enterprise. Um, a lot of times people are looking at their key metrics as being uh, sales year-to-date. And they'll do a sales last year to date compared to this year to date. And I'm like, okay, no, I want to see what's that trend over the last five years. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to see just a one column scenario. I want to, I'm looking, cause I'm looking for trends and data um, or trends in the information and the data. And in, so looking at things like your sales, looking at your profitability, looking at profitability per client. I, I wrote a, an article about that a while back. Um, and and that was a, it was a shock. I got a lot of feedback on that one because people had never thought about looking at client profitability. You know, some of those big clients that you just feel like you have to have cost a fortune to keep in service and they're not bringing any money to the bottom line all they're providing you is some prestige because of the client name and so you know understanding things of that nature. Um, You want to look at your retained earnings or your personal savings, you know, by the measurement of your net worth. You know, I know a variety of people who've become millionaires that never did more than $200,000 a year in total in their business. And a lot of them were doing $100,000 a year, but they were good savers and they did their savings. They worked with their um, investment advisor to, you know, to it's it, to build that business or to build that revenue, that net worth. I always tell people it's not about what you make. It's or in terms of sales or revenue or salary. It's about what you keep and what you do with what you kept. So I'll say that again. It's not about what you make. It's about what you keep and what you do with what you kept. And so what I also tell entrepreneurs especially to do is, you know, you don't want to have your entire net worth tied up just in your business. You need to have some some separated funds that are personal savings, retirement savings, you know, other things that are not just in the business so that that you make your decisions based on what you have in the business, but you also have a little bit of of reserve, if you will, for you personally, because as I said earlier, real life can get in the way. And if, and if you haven't set up for that rainy day in a variety of parts of your life, it's really hard for you to sustain anything over that long haul.
0: Oh, okay. Um, We're just about wrapping up our conversation. Um, We've looked at enduring enterprises. Um, Are there other things you would like to share with my audience on, on this all important topic?
1: Well, you know, we've gone through seven of the eight um, elements of what it takes to be an enduring enterprise or an enduring entrepreneur. So I might as well throw the last one out. And that's the
0: Yo, Please do. Please do. Motivation. That is the motiv-
1: yeah. motivation because, you know, as we talked about in a, in the interview that we did a while back, um, you know, it's hard to be an entrepreneur. It can be a very lonely um, job and, and so staying motivated and and that's hard when the sale that you were counting on you just found out you lost <laughs> some idiot um, you know and and you're not going to be able to, to do that and uh, sorry my dog just decided he was going to join us here today he's my office <laughs> dog um, and yeah, he he helps me stay motivated. I talk to him all day long. Now he's decided
0: to talk <laughs> um, <back>. um, what, <laughs> what what what's the name of the dog? <laughs>
1: his name is tucker and he's a, a little rescue dog that that we got um and you know he's got some behavior issues but you know he's he's good company and uh you know we're, we're we've had him a few months now and it's all starting to work out except for days like today when he's decided <laughs> that he has an
0: opinion oh yeah um, yeah, yeah. But, he wants to be yeah. on, on on my show so <laughs> we he has that yeah, yeah, we'll consider him for, for, for to I love
1: do it. It. Yeah, He wants to be that international, that international superstar. Um, but, it, but that self-motivation is the hardest thing to sustain in leadership because you're lonely whether you're the CEO or the entrepreneur and everything rests on you and your ability and your capability for resolving issues and problems. And It's important to find places where you can really step forward and renew yourself. For some people, it's taking a vacation. For me, it's petting the dog or taking him for a walk. Um, But sometimes you need more than that. And so sometimes it's you go to a conference or you take an hour out of your day and you listen to a treasured podcast like, like this one, Kofi, where I'm going to go listen to what other people have done and how they've succeeded. And, and that can be enough to help renew your spirit. And so I think a lot of it is, is it's on a deep personal level, identifying, you know, the what it is that it takes for you to be, um, to be renewed in your in your spirit and in your energy and in your excitement about getting up in the morning and bring your very best to the table. And those people who build enduring enterprises and those people who are enduring entrepreneurs, um, they do that. My family business, the the little auto body shop, it's now three generations, sixty five years they've been in business, um, and you know my business is thirty five years, and um, I think that that you know there there are always going to be days that are hard and days you want to have a do over on, but yet those who succeed over the long t- haul. Are the ones that find a way to renew when they're when their spirits down a little bit. And those are the ones who are truly successful over that long period of time.
0: Okay. Thank you so much, Jill, for spending time with us again on the Entrepreneur Speaks podcast. You've indeed shared a lot of experience. Your wealth of experience has been amazing. And I'm sure my listeners are drawing a lot of lessons. They've picked a lot of lessons that they are going to utilize in their business operations. Um, thank you once again for coming on our show and we wish you the very best.
1: Thanks so much.
0: So this has been another exciting episode of the Entrepreneur Speaks Podcast. I'll come your way next time with another amazing guest and amazing journey and subject matter. I remain your host, Kofi Animedu. As always, do take good care of yourself and let's continue to keep hope alive. Cheers.
1: Please be sure to subscribe to the Entrepreneur Speaks podcast on all your favorite podcast channels. And if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to reach out to us on social media or in the comments section below.